The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome, my friends. Another weekend, another tough slug. For investors, um, on all fronts, I must say, uh, home investors uh, with mortgages are probably asking themselves what is going to happen with their mortgage, either when it comes up for renewal or what the rate will be if it's on a variable fashion. Uh, retirees on a fixed income, yeah, obviously some concern. Um, although, I think if you're on a fixed income, an opportunity will be presenting itself to actually give you higher fixed income uh, in some months to come, but certainly volatility and very difficult if you're entering retirement to see uh, markets uh, behave this way. Unfortunately, uh, you really can't time the markets as well as you can time your own retirement date. Uh, Jack and I always say you want to enter retirement with more rather than uh, just enough money. Uh, More is always better. And if you're a wealth accumulator, um, friends, This really is a fantastic opportunity uh, to continue on plan, continue to build your assets. Uh, And if you have been waiting for an opportunity uh, to step in, certainly uh, what's been presented to you, I think, is uh, pretty darn good. Probably not the bottom. Uh, My friends, if you're waiting for the bottom, mark my words, I guarantee you won't hit it. Uh, You just got to play around it, invest around it, and set your uh, table accordingly. I bumped into a good friend of mine, uh, employee at Rogers in the sales department and uh, traditional media. And uh, so just asking how business was and the world of traditional advertising, of course, has been challenged, although resiliently so, uh, but challenged on all fronts. Uh, additional media come into play, new media and the likes of eating traditional uh, marketing dollar for lunch or for, for breakfast. But uh, they were saying that the online gaming industry uh, has really uh, saved their uh, sales quotas for the year, a huge amount of money uh, going into online uh, betting, uh, wagering, and the likes. You see it on television, you're hearing it on the radio. Uh, it's just a remarkable new industry uh, that's going to allow the governments to bring in additional revenue. Um, fortunately, we have a great analyst at Canaccord. Uh, Jason Tilson is his name, vice president, uh, senior equity analyst. He covers the internet and digital gaming sectors with Canaccord Genuity. Uh, works in Manhattan. So I'm going to say live from Wall Street. Uh, Mr. Jason Tilson, welcome to the show, Hi-Fi Radio. It's a delight to uh, bring you on to talk about your coverage universe. Uh, please, let's, let's, let's talk uh, openly about uh, online gaming, you know, amidst the pandemic, coming out of the pandemic, uh, and now in a bit of a rocky economic environment. Uh, the space obviously has been challenged. Uh, if nothing else, it's from a share price point of view. Can you speak to valuation, speak to what has been taking place and what investors are doing uh, around your space? Yeah, absolutely. First off, thanks so much for uh, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, And and you definitely hit on it. It's a super exciting space. Um, It's a really new uh, and exciting market uh, that sort of is opening up here in the U.S. uh, as each state legalizes uh, sports betting. It's obviously an activity that's taken place through illegal channels for, for many decades, uh, centuries even, and, uh, and in Las Vegas, uh, you know, legally for, for many years. But with the, uh, with the, rule, the Supreme Court's ruling uh, passed in 2018, opened up the online markets uh, on a state-by-state basis here in the U.S. Uh, and then more recently, obviously, Ontario became the first province in Canada 
uh, to legalize sports betting. So uh, there's a lot going on. And, uh, and to the point that you were just bringing up with, uh, with valuations, uh, this is a classic example. This is another growth sector um, with a really large, you know, addressable market that, um, that investors were very much uh, in favor of uh, before and leading into the pandemic. Um, and valuations uh, were, were, were very high. I mean, uh, stocks were trading um, at, at multiples of 10, 15, 20 times sales um, as recently as early last year. Um, because of the significant growth that's going on in this market, um, as I said, states legalizing, uh, you know, multiple states legalizing every year and the market really um, expanding organic growth within existing markets. Um, and so obviously the whole market, as, as you were just talking about in, in your lead-in, um, has seen this, uh, this sort of shift of tone um, with from a low interest rate, um, very growth stocks were very much in vogue and multiples uh, weren't so concerned about that. Now we're in an environment where rates are going up, inflationary macro concerns, recession fears, and all of a sudden um, multiples have compressed significantly. Um, and as a result, growth stocks with cash flows uh, that are more out in the future, such as a DraftKings, um, which is a stock that we cover, um, are obviously not in favor right now. And the whole sector has seen multiples compress significantly. A lot of the stocks are down 60, 70, 80%. Um, we, we still uh, view the space quite favorably, though. We think that there's uh, really significant organic growth here. I think that profits uh, will be coming. Um, obviously, it's a, it's a high cost of acquisition um, business, uh, sports betting and online uh, casino gaming. Um, but we think that for long-term investors, there's a significant opportunity here uh, to come in and, uh, and take advantage of those, uh, those compressed multiples. Um, Jason, how big is the gambling market, wagering lottery tickets, when you put it all together from Vegas to uh, 649, as we have up here in Canada, how big of an industry are we talking about? So not inclusive of, um, of what you were just referring to, which was um, uh, lottery. But if you just look at the commercial gambling, the legalized commercial gambling, which includes you know slots and table games at casinos, and then the sports betting and online casino, um, you're, you're looking at an industry that, uh, that last year alone, um, I'm just pulling up, uh, last year did uh, $53 billion um, in the U.S. Um, and obviously, COVID impacted 2020 numbers, but it, that was a 40 to $44 billion industry um, pre, pre-COVID. Um, and so you've seen this explosion of sports betting um, and on my casino over recent years, as all these states have legalized, that has started to drive uh, renewed growth in the legalized commercial gambling industry in the U.S. Um, and so when people talk about what the opportunity is, you know, just for sports betting uh, here in the U.S., um, right now, obviously, uh, last year that generated, um, you know, a little over $4 billion of revenue. Um, we're projecting uh, about 7 to $8 billion of revenue this year. And then that's only with 30 to 35% of the U.S. population uh, having exposure to legalized sports betting. So when we think out in the future, um, there have been some more of these big states um, legalized and we get towards closer to half, two-thirds, three-quarters of the U.S. population with exposure to U.S. sports betting. We think that this market from a revenue perspective um, could, be, could be north of $30 billion uh, over time. And so therefore, uh, to, you know, uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Jason. Uh, the, so the numbers up here in Canada, have you taken a look at uh, how much Canadians spend uh, on uh, online gaming and sports betting? 
Yeah, so this is a little bit trickier of a market to, uh, to handicap because historically um, only parlay cards were available for sports betting through, uh, through legalized channels. However, there's sort of a gray market um, existed where uh, the, uh, the offshore platforms and all kinds of online platforms were allowed to operate. It wasn't technically legal, but they also didn't crack down on that. So there was sort of a thriving gray market that's operated for many years in Canada unknown exactly how large that market is, but just extrapolating sort of on a, on a revenue per adult basis when we look at some of the more mature markets in the world of like the United Kingdom or uh, even one of the more mature states in the U.S., such as New Jersey, um, we, we get to an implied sort of annual market for Canada of roughly $3 billion for sports betting, maybe a little over $3 billion for sports betting, and a similar sort of opportunity with online casino, another roughly $3 billion, $4 billion online casino, so $6, $7 billion for total online gambling. We're looking at at maturity once all the provinces um, have legalized. Ontario itself we see as uh, a, a more than $1 billion opportunity um, in annualized uh, gaming revenue, gross gaming revenue, um, once, uh, once things are fully up and running and, uh, and you get a little bit of time under that market. Hey, okay, so now, to... Go ahead, Jack. Yeah, no, I just wanted to jump in because you mentioned a term out there that uh, maybe our listeners uh, don't know, especially if they're not in the... Uh, uh, online gambling, uh, or they haven't been exposed to it. Uh, can you maybe go through what parlay uh, gambling is, and then also the live in-game betting that, that we're starting to see now as well? I think that's sort of the, the higher margin business for these uh, online uh, gaming or gambling sites. And uh, yeah, maybe you can just go through that and how uh, it is being transitioned from the, the black and gray market into uh, the legal uh, gaming business that's regulated by the government now. Absolutely. So, so just a level set there. So obviously, if someone just uh, takes a game, the Blue Jays are playing, uh, playing, uh, you know, uh, in a game, and, and people can just bet on who's going to win the game or how many runs are going to be scored, just a straight individual bet. Or they can say, oh, I think the Blue Jays are going to win tonight, and the San Francisco Giants are also going to win tonight, and the New York Yankees are also going to win tonight. And if all three of those games win, um, you're going to get much better odds than just sort of the one-to-one, if you will, if you just take a straight game, you get five, six to one odds for, for a wager like that. And so as a result, people like, you know, the lower risk, high reward of parlay bets. And uh, obviously because you have to have multiple outcomes all succeed at this, in, in order to win, um, it's less likely that that's going to happen. And as a result, um, the, the house, the casinos, uh, the sports books will, will win more often than not uh, in, in those cases. And so um, parlays, you know, that's, this is a big dynamic that we've seen here in, uh, in the U.S. So, um, when you look at um, the market share by operator, um, certain operators have greater exposure to parlays, just the different product offerings they have, the interfaces, the way that they're doing bonusing and promotions, um, and parlay wagers. Uh, we looked at this in our uh, most recent report. Um, just in Illinois, because Illinois is one of the few states that, um, that puts out operator by operator data um, for, uh, for bet types. And what we see is um, FanDuel, 30% of their uh, total handle, total wagers uh, placed are on parlays. And of those wagers, um, they have a 19% win rate, you know, hold rate um, for parlays. And their non-parlay wagers, the other 70% of the bets they take, have roughly a 5% win rate. So parlays four times more profitable um, for, the, for the house than, um, than, than the individual standard bets. And so they're trying to increase, you know, participation engagement um, with that bet type. Live betting, you mentioned, is another uh, huge part of the growth opportunity within sports betting. Um, mature markets like the U.K. and in Europe, uh, almost three-quarters of total bets placed are live in-game wagers. 
Um, in the U.S., it's obviously very new. People aren't used to these interfaces. The illegal platforms have very little live wagering. It's just much more of a difficult uh, process from a product standpoint. You need to really invest in those tools and those, uh, those odds-making tools for live wagering. And as a result, it's, it's more like 20 25% of total betting in the U.S. over time that's expected to expand. And that also has a higher hold rate than sort of standard um, pregame wagers because people have less time to analyze uh, the markets and figure out where they're going to gain an edge. And so as a result, um, there, there sort of is a higher hold rate for the, for the books um, for live wagering as well. And so those two areas are big drivers um, of growth for, um, for the industry on top of legalization. Jason Tilson, he's a vice president, uh, senior equity analyst with Canaccord. Uh, we're talking digital gaming. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and get right back to Hi-Fi Radio Show about money. If you have any questions for Jack or I, WolfgangKlein.com is where you can find us, and we will get back to you ASAP. Quick break, get right back, as I said, to Jason Tilson uh, and talk a little bit more about some of his favorite picks within the digital gaming sector. They've been beaten up. Bat, 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 bat. That's Flintstone. Stand by. Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. Walk away. My kids were playing a little, uh, or we were playing some poker in the basement. A bunch of teenagers. It was hilarious <laughs> to watch them <laughs> in my basement with a card table. Uh, goodness gracious. And, uh, yeah, the one kid, I said, you know, you got to learn to fold. Uh, you got to learn to walk away. Uh, keep some of your chips for the next hand. You know, if you got a weak hand, walk away. Or even then, if you have a weak stock, more importantly, a weak company and a weak stock, that's right, those two things put together, Get rid of it. You don't need to own it. Uh, good company, weak stock, buy it. I repeat, good company, weak stock, buy it. Invest in it. Uh, stack the probabilities in your favor. And, Jack, you always like to say, my friend, if you buy something below average price, expect above average returns over time. Correct? As you, That's correct. Well, as long as it's above average stock in terms of quality. Quality, quality, quality. It's job one. Uh, Jason, uh, one of our analysts at Canaccord, uh, covers the online gaming sector. Um, DraftKings, uh, one of the more populous names, I shall say, about a $5 billion company. has uh, been under significant pressure. Uh, I had to cut that one, uh, Jason. I owned it. Uh, I couldn't take it anymore. It was just going against me, and I had to cut it. Uh, take my loss, offset that loss against all my other games I had, and, uh, you know, Walk away. <laughs> I had to walk away from the casino. Yeah. Um, in this environment, obviously, it must be uh, difficult to attract attention to online gaming. Uh, as, you know, higher companies up the food chain uh, are being sold at deep discounted price. I picked up a little Costco the other day. I don't think I'm going to get hurt owning Costco in this environment. Jason, are you a Costco member? Uh, I'm not a Costco member, but I'm a fan uh, of the uh, of the stores and and of the business. Uh, they, they Does your family shop Costco? 
Yes, yes, they do. Okay, so your family is so, so, so your family's a member. You're there. Perfect. Um, just a little anecdotal uh, market research I'm doing here. <laughs> let's, let's talk. Let's talk DraftKings. Um, where do you think this thing is? Going? How much lower can the stock go? And and what's the setup uh, for recovery? Yeah. So, well, when you look at DraftKings, this is a name that you just talked about. It was a stock that that was working in that prior market environment. It traded uh, as high as basically 20 times forward revenue um, uh, on an EV to sales basis, with, which is uh, obviously uh, a premium multiple. Um, it, we just we look at this. We think of the the risk reward here. Um, the stock's well off its highs, uh, about 80% off of the highs. Um, it's trading at less than two times uh, next year's revenue, um, which we think is, is a quite reasonable valuation for, for a business like this in a very high-growth uh, sector that we think is going to continue to grow the top line um, at greater than 20 30% for, for several years. Um, that sort of is a, a conservative basis that doesn't necessarily include um, aggressive legalization, which we think is possible. Um, under certain scenarios. And when you look at DraftKings, um, you know, this is, this is firmly uh, in second position sort of from a market share basis in the U.S. market. Um, FanDuel uh, was sort of a leading position, um, you know, 30, 40% of, of, uh, of share in, in, a given, in, a, in a given state, depending on, uh, on the state. The DraftKings usually right, right there, either in first or in, or in second with, you know, 25, 30% share. And, um, and this is a business that has a bunch of different things going for it. The first thing, obviously, is this expanding uh, sports betting market. Um, and we see legalization continuing. Uh, three new states, Ohio, uh, Maryland, and Kansas, will be launching uh, around uh, the end of this year. Um, California, which uh, is the largest state uh, by population in the U.S., uh, has uh, two different ballot initiatives to legalize both uh, regular traditional retail sports betting and online sports betting on the upcoming November ballot. Those are seen as sort of a 50-50 shot um, of passing. And, uh, and, and we see this continued trend where state by state, um, they look at neighboring states, they see lost revenue going to those states, and then they jump on board. Um, Massachusetts has a potential to legalize later this year. Um, so there's, there's a lot of momentum uh, with, the, with the market growing. And then, as I said, on top of just new states opening up, you've got live wagering and parlays and all these new bet types um, driving growth in the industry. Um, so that's one big um, big opportunity for DraftKings. Secondly, obviously, it's online casino, which doesn't get talked about as much. It's only legal in six states in the U.S. It's a much slower uh, uh, you know, process that's taking place in the U.S. so far. But we see that as a big opportunity over time because it's a significant crossover between the customer bases for online sports betting and online casino. So it should be much more efficient to acquire those new customers uh, for online casino. Um, and also, the outcomes are much more... Um, stable than sports betting. Sports betting, sometimes the, the house has a great month. Sometimes they have a bad month, depending on uh, the outcomes of, uh, of games. Uh, in the football season, the, the industry saw some adverse outcomes. Um, under uh, Favorites and overs were hitting at a higher rate than sort of the historical norm. Casino is much more stable and uh, it's a really nice uh, revenue generator for these, for these companies. And so when you layer on uh, a significant online casino market, which many industry experts uh, as potentially a larger market over time uh, once it reaches sort of legalization parity uh, compared to sports betting. Um, that's a massive opportunity. Obviously, you talked about in this market environment, the stock has not worked. That's largely because it's investment um, heavily in sales and marketing. Uh, they spent almost a billion dollars last year in sales and marketing. We expect them to spend about $1.2 billion on sales and marketing this year. However, 
I think this is sort of the misunderstood part of the story. Um, this is a very upfront, um, heavy investment that these that the company is making in each of these individual states. And when they look at the most mature state in the U.S. Uh, from an online perspective, New Jersey, which has been around since mid-2018, that state is already contribution uh, profit positive for, for DraftKings. And so as more states start to mature, that will help offset some of the investments in new states. And we see the total dollars that the company is investing in sales and marketing and promotions sort of peaking over the next year or two, not just as a percent of revenue, but on an absolute dollar basis, and then actually declining over time as the industry matures, which should give a really nice inflection point for the profit margins of this business. And we see, uh, we see really strong profits in, out, again, out in the future, which in this current market environment is not necessarily uh, in, you know, looked on, on favorable by investors. But for people who have a long time horizon, we think that this is a really nice risk-reward opportunity uh, that DraftKings at less than two times next year's revenue. But in some, in some ways, it almost appears like the, uh, uh, the opening of the Wild West. Uh, a lot of participants, a lot of players, um, and really it's a bit of a land grab and, and a race for positioning. And as such, you are seeing a, and my, my, my friend from Rogers Media indicated that to me, uh, a real aggressive spend uh, on uh, advertising. Um, so, so how brand, um, uh, how much strength will you, do you believe a brand will have it? in this online universe. Uh, and again, if it's online, uh, is brand more or less important relative to a traditional brick and mortar casino? So it's a great question. I think, um, you know, it's probably roughly as important online versus in person, maybe slightly more important um, only because uh, in the, in the casino environment, in-person casino environment, depending on where you are in the U S Obviously, in your Las Vegas, there's a hundred different options, but a lot of other parts of the U.S. there's not as many options for people to go to. So it's more about the local experience and the and the convenience rather than you know, if you're on your phone and there's five, six, seven different options. It's really about which brand resonates with you to, to which app you're going to go to, and then over time we see the product um, the product offerings and the actual user interfaces um, really being a differentiating factor. And we see both DraftKings and FanDuel and, and several other platforms really have a have a really quality user experience that's going to drive users to those platforms, while some of the others are, are maybe a little bit more rudimentary and, and maybe they lose share over time. When you talk about the, the brand, you know, DraftKings was not a historically a, a, you know, a casino um, brand. It was in daily fantasy sports, which was sort of this nascent industry, and they leveraged, uh, just like FanDuel did, their, um, their, their customer base and their brand investments in that game, uh, in that industry. And they leverage that in, into sports betting. You've also got some of the traditional casino brands like MGM and Caesars um, and Penn National with the, uh, the Barstool Sportsbook um, using their sort of existing brands in the space. And we've seen on the online casino front, a company like MGM outperform from a market share standpoint compared to their sports betting share because consumers that they, they, they think of casino and, and gambling like that when they think of MGM. So we, we see brands being very important. Obviously, the investments in, in TV advertising are really important. We saw Caesars jump out to the leading position in New York in the first month because, um, because they had really invested heavily during the football season in their commercials. I'm sure anyone who watched their NFL game last year um, in the U.S. and even I'm sure some in Canada saw those, saw those commercials, and, and that was very effective. And they actually announced earlier this year they were going to cut almost all of their planned TV spend going forward because they achieved their goal of creating awareness of their sports betting offering uh, in the marketplace. And their share 
you know, when you see that, that pullback, their share, there was obviously very promotional as well. They offered one of the biggest sign-up bonuses um, uh, of all operators in New York, but their share has receded significantly over, uh, over subsequent months. She shows the power of that, that marketing, those marketing dollars up front, but also that you have to have a really strong user experience in order to keep customers on your platform. And we also see the potential for advertising restrictions over time. You mentioned how, you know, when you turn on a game and you're bombarded with these ads, um, we've, seen, uh, we've seen some states uh, propose restrictions on the types of audience or the frequency um, uh, uh, and the types of uh, advertising. So that's obviously going to be something to watch going forward is, uh, is how regulators allow um, the, the volume um, and the types of advertising uh, for, for, for both sports betting and casino gambling. Um, in interest of time, Jason, you've got about 60 seconds here. Uh, give us your top pick for a true blue chip investor, someone with a three to five year time horizon. So for, for a long-term investor, given where current valuations are, we think that of the public market uh, options, um, DraftKings uh, is, is our is our favorite uh, at, at basically one and a half times next year's revenue. Um, again, not inclusive of additional states that potentially could launch, so that multiple um, could even come down further should uh, should estimates go up. And, and we really we think that this is a business that this is not a, a not a winner take all industry. This is an industry that will have multiple players that will succeed, and we think that DraftKings uh, has built a brand that is uh, made to last in this industry, particularly once we get that full. Uh, online casino offering uh, layered in as well. Um, another way to play this space is Sport Radar, ticker SRAD. Um, this is a provider of the data from sports that goes to the sportsbook operators for them to create live odds, to create you know all, all that information. So it's more of a business-to-business play, a picks and shovels way to play the sports betting theme. That company has a lot of recurring revenues, significant subscription uh, um, exposure, uh, you know, as a percent of their total revenue. And that's a global business. They, they don't just serve the U.S. operators. They serve all the operators around the world. And that's another stock that's trading at about two, three times uh, next year's revenue. So with a high recurring uh, base uh, of revenue there, we think that uh, that's also an attractive valuation and a little bit less uh, of, uh, you know, not risky, but a little bit of a different mindset. Picks and shovels B2B versus that heavy marketing investment in the B2C. That's at the profitable business as well, Sport Radar. Um, that, that, that sounds like a very interesting okay. idea, Jason. Uh, again, the selling the selling of data certainly is a theme. I, I, as you mentioned that idea, I was just thinking about Moody's or MSCI. Uh, again, all in the business of collecting and selling data. Uh, low capex required, uh, recurring cash flow, recurring revenue. Um, Moats get created that way. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Have to take a look at that name. Uh, Jason Tilton, uh, one of our uh, key vice presidents, uh, senior equity analyst with Canaccord. He covers the internet and digital gaming sector. If any questions on the sector, Jack and I have access to a brilliant uh, white pages that Jason recently penned. Uh, quite brilliant. Uh, Jack's been digging through it and, and uh, quite impressed with some of the numbers. We're going to take a quick break and get back to Wall Street with none other than Mr. Tony Dwyer, frequently seen on uh, CNBC. Uh, Jack and I's personal strategist uh, available for our clients uh, our exclusive members of the wolf on bay street it's going to be a great hit stay tuned don't go anywhere there's more hi-fi radio in a moment on 640 toronto you're listening to a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 toronto New York, New York, I want to wake up in 
city that doesn't sleep And find I'm king of the hill Top of the heap These That's Tony Dwyer, my friends. Indeed, king of the hill, top of the heap. Until the bear market. Uh, well, indeed, that's what we're in, my friends. We're in a bear market. And, uh, well, Tony Dwyer helps Jack and I out a lot. Uh, navigating uh, tumultuous times, which do end. And everything in life is temporary. Everything in life is temporary. High prices and low prices. But ultimately, fair value over the long term seems to reign true. And, you know, Tony, it was interesting when, when Jack and I first met you, um, and I haven't heard your, your, your lines recently, but uh, your, your fundamental core thesis for why stocks go up and or down. And why don't we maybe review, take you right back to day one uh, of investing is the, why do stocks go up, Tony Dwyer? Well, um, thanks for having me, Wolf. As you know, um, over the 35 years I've been doing this, I've made a lot of mistakes just like everybody else. And through those mistakes, I found that these five market realities are not are not questionable to me. Um, I've learned it the hard way. Number one, the market correlates with the direction of earnings. So as long as the direction of earnings is going up, the market can go up, and obviously the vice versa. The mark, uh, the direction of earnings is driven by economic activity. Economic activity is driven by the availability of money, and availability of money is driven by the Fed or global central banks, and that's driven by inflation. So obviously we've had an inflation problem for the, from the beginning of the year, which has dictated a more cautious stance from us than we traditionally are in. Right. So uh, earnings are going to continue to rise this year, according to uh, Wall Street estimates. And in fact, they're slated to rise again next year. Year-over-year earnings are going to continue to grow. Correct, Tony? Mm, I think that's incorrect, um, Wolfie. I think, I think earnings are going to be generally up this year, um, but between the second half of this year and into early next year, they may be a little bit more difficult if we trend toward a recession. So it's more flat than, than up or down. So with the market down 20%, we're mostly neutral, looking to see what the direction from money availability is going to be. It's, it's all about whether – Households or businesses have the access to money, and that can come from a bank, it can come from your earnings, and it can come from the markets. And right now, all of those are a little bit dicey. Where do we go from here, Tony? The market is already down, call it 20, 22%. The Nasdaq's down over 30 uh, How much lower can the market go? Um, and, and when do you think the central bank does its proverbial pivot. And, and, and friends at home, uh, Wall Street's been talking about a pivot. Jack's been talking about a pivot. Uh, what a pivot is, is when the central bank that's raising interest rates tonight right now, then tells the market, okay, job is done. We can now take it easy for a little while. That will be a change of policy stance and therefore a pivot in policy. That seems to be what everyone is waiting for. So Tony, what's your sense? When do we get that? But how much damage can be done or more pain do we have to uh, endure between now and then? Two-pronged question. Well, so the first thing that I want to reinforce, Wolfie and Jack, is are two things that you guys frequently mention. 
When you look back at all the historic declines in the market, whether they're 20% or 50%, when the market made a new high in January, that meant that none of those declines should have ever been sold, right? If you're at a new all-time high, it obviously got back any of those declines. So, you know, the, the right framework is historically, unless you need the money, there's no reason to really play too much in, in terms of the timing of it. Um, from the standpoint of where can it go, it's going to depend on earnings. And right now, the Fed, I think, is making, I think the global central banks are making policy mistakes by getting overly tight on data that typically lags. And for the general listener, that just means um, that means that they're using data that's already behind us. The forward-looking data is getting is is showing lesser inflation, but they're focused on the headline number. So, you know, as long as that's the case, could, you you could certainly go lower. Again, when you're speaking so you're about making data, oh sorry, sorry, Jack, and I, I want you, I want to hear what you have to say here on this one too, back, uh, Jack. But in terms of lagging data that they're looking at, Tony, you're speaking about employment, you're speaking about inflation data, correct? That's all backward. Yeah, I'm talking about housing prices. Owner's equivalent rent is part of the consumer price index. It's an overweight uh, part of the consumer price index, and that it, it takes a long time for that to turn. So the, there's signs in the U.S. that the economy is already slowing sharply, yet the Fed is about to raise 75 to 100 basis points at the end of this month based on data that shows that inflation was strong. So it, it's it's one of those times where – you know, people look to the Fed guys like they know all. It's like the, they know everything and, and they're always right. So let's listen to what they say. I've, I've yet to see them get it right. You know, they just made the mistake that's creating the problem we're in. And we're looking to that group to fit for the solution, which is dicey. I, I say, Tony, I know you like to look at the history. So I just wanted to um, talk about history with a slowing economy uh, that you referenced there. We all know that things are slowing down or decelerating and aggressively raising interest rates with global central banks. Can you look back on a period of time uh, that you've seen this? And then what was the uh, the overall outcome, short and long term? Not really, no. Um, so we, we did a study and we looked for times that the S&P 500 had, had as severe a decline as we had seen um, in June. In other words, the 10-week rate of change. So how the market moved in the last 10 weeks, it got to down 15% in, at the June low. And then the, it pivoted. It got a little bit better recently, right up until last Friday. So we found the 16 times that that's happened to that degree, to the same degree since 1950. You never, had never proved to be the, the low. It went straight up and never looked back like we did in 2020. And out of those 16 times, there were six periods where you never looked back after ripping higher. And that all, all six of those, the Fed had already started easing. So obviously that's not the case here. So that means it's just a temporary, we're looking for a temporary summer rally. We're already in the middle of it. Um, so we're going to have a little bit more, and then I, I'm afraid we're going to have to go back to the low. And did you reference a policy mistake that central banks are making as well, um, Tony? So uh, what indications are you seeing uh, that are telling you that? Maybe something that's forward-looking that's saying that the Fed has gone too far. Is it like the euro-dollar futures curve, inflation break-even, yield curve? Yep. All of that, Jack. I mean, you're, you're on top of this stuff. It's all of that, especially the yield curve. Now the two-year two to 10-year yield curve is, is severely inverted, meaning short-term interest rates are higher than long-term interest rates. And for the listeners, that means 
if a bank's getting their money at 1% or, or at 3%, let's say a bank gets their money at 3%, they wouldn't lend it to lose money at 2%, right? They wouldn't, they wouldn't pay 3% for the money and then lend it to us at 2%. They would lose a percent. So when you invert the yield curve, it's, it shuts down bank lending. Right. So the, the fact that the, the market forces, the people that are actually betting with, with dollars, uh, whether it's euro dollar futures or inflation rates, whatever it is, uh, or in the fixed income market, uh, the market is already saying that central banks have gone too far. So in that case, right. you'd expect, I'm not going to say a pivot's going to happen immediately because I just don't expect it to happen based on what's going on with inflation and, and central bankers looking backwards. But it tells us that, you know, you can at least uh, see a positive catalyst in the, I'm going to say six to 12 months future when central banks have to make that pivot of going from raising rates to potentially lowering rates, or at least going on pause. Yeah, and the unfortunate part of that is that usually that pivot comes with one thing, pain. Tony Dwyer, um, I have not uh, heard you so say green in such a long time, my good friend, <laughs> I must say. We'll take a quick break, get right back to our chief strategist at Canaccord, along with my partner, Jack Hartle. Shows Hi-Fi Radio each and every Saturday night on 640 in Toronto from 7 to 8 p.m. Yes, it's a show about money. We want you to have lots of it. Uh, if you own it right now, Tony's advice is, Hang on, which I agree with. Just leave it alone if you own it. If you don't own it, if it's borrowed, eh, you're going to be squeezed in here. And uh, my friends, don't meet a margin call. That's what they say on Wall Street. Never meet a margin call. The margin clerk calls you up, sell, and move on. Take a great right back to Tony Dwyer and Jack Hartle on Hi-Fi Radio. Stay tuned. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Well, now I need a little give and take The New York Times the daily news It comes down to reality And it's fine with me Cause I've let it slide I Don't care if it's Chinatown Or Rotten Riverside I don't have any reason Left them all I'm in a New York state of mind. As am I, my friends. We got Tony Dwyer on the line, our chief strategist, live from New York. What a treat, indeed. Uh, you know, Tony's very, very good, uh, and he calls it as he sees it. And, uh, well, Tony is obviously concerned, uh, as is the market. Uh, when I say the market, I'm talking about the stock market. The bond market, I want to go back to it, Tony. Um, the bond market led the, the inflation data. The bond market led the central bank policy change to raising interest rates uh, as the 10-year was climbing uh, rapidly this year, getting well above 3%. Uh, and that told us that we got issues coming, and sure enough, they came. But the bond market has since, the 10-year yield has now fallen back below 3% this week. Uh, 
what is that telling you, Tony? Yes, you're speaking about them inverting the yield curve, but is that telling you inflation is getting contained and that the central banks perhaps next year or the year after will in fact have room then to lower interest rates? Yep, that's exactly what it means. And it's a follow-on uh, point that Jack made earlier, Wolf, is that um, – you know, the euro dollar curve, all, all those things that none of us really understand that well, that price and the probability of rate hikes or rate cuts, they're all suggesting rate cuts in 2023. So it seems it seems a little nuts to me that we're going to do, a, you know, 75 or 100 basis point hike into the teeth of a market that's already beginning to look for rate cuts early next year. And that's the policy mistake that I'm talking to. And, and, you know, if I were a listener, I'd say, oh, oh he, this guy's a wise guy. He thinks he knows more than the Fed. Well, the reality is the market knows more than the Fed because it's been leading the Fed. So it's not my personal view. It's what the, you know, the conglomeration of uh, a lot smarter people than me are saying. And they're saying that the Fed tightening or the global central bank tightening is going to cause enough economic weakness to warrant a rate cut. So in our view, the stock market is reflecting an economic softening but not necessarily an economic recession. Um, Tony, how deep do you think this recession will go? Uh, and I've asked a question because I want to just uh, myth bust a few concerns about, you know, the word depression. Uh, every now and then when you get into a bear bar, oh, is this the next depression? Do you want to, do you want to speak to that point, Tony? Well, it, it, how, how bad the economy gets is going to be dependent upon how quickly the Fed does Jack's pivot. And if they pivot quickly, it can be a moderate recession. But the idea that you can raise rates to a historic, and remember, the sharpness of the rate rise is what we're talking about here. Obviously, interest rates have been way higher before. But if you're if you're in a mortgage, it went from three percent to five and a quarter percent on a thirty-year fixed mortgage in a in a month and a half, to the point where Neil Kashkari, who was the the head of the Minneapolis Fed, literally stated that the Fed withdrew accommodation faster than they gave it in the pandemic. And think about the speed of that. So the point is that the, the depth of the recession will fully depend upon how quickly the Fed makes money more readily available. But ultimately, you cannot raise rates the way they have into a levered system with growing inventories and slackening demand and think you're going to have a soft landing. You know, the last time I heard of a policy error that really stood out was when your former president, Donald Trump, uh, was yelling at the Fed uh, for, for raising interest rates too quickly. He, of course, wants to continue to stimulate the economy, and the central bank was being a little hawkish at that point. And, but he seemed to get his way. The Fed, I think, listened to the, 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 the Donald Trump and stopped raising interest rates. No, uh, he didn't listen to Donald Trump. They didn't listen to Donald Trump. They listened to the market. We were in the midst of the Christmas Eve massacre, if you remember that, you know, where the market was getting absolutely annihilated and signs were there of an economic slowdown. The Fed had, the Fed had been expecting in, in the, at the end of December, in the middle part of December at the Fed meeting, their dot plot showed at least two more rate hikes and they ended up easing in the next move. So the idea that they that they weren't listening to Donald Trump, they were listening to market forces. Well, I hope they listen to you, Tony. Um... Uh, please can continue to use that megaphone and get the message out there uh, of uh, policy error. Uh, the moral consequences uh, could be quite severe. Uh, Tony Dwyer, the Chief Market Strategist, Canaccord. 
live from Wall Street, an absolute delight. Uh, my friend, I want to wish you a great weekend. Uh, it's a real pleasure and honor to uh, spend time with you on this show. Jack, great job. You as too always. as well. And uh, friends at home, please, any questions about money? Uh, if your guy isn't communicating with you, perhaps, call us. We'll communicate with you anytime. Uh, WolfgangKlein.com is where we can be found. Be safe. Be prosperous. We'll speak with you next weekend. Same bad time, same bad channel. 640 Toronto. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardhill, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio for the love of money. Join us again next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto.